Check out my new show, Nicola Talent Presents Getting Away With Murder, live at Liberty Hall on September 20th. Brought to you by MCD. Tickets on sale at ticketmaster.ie. Once the Criminal Access Bureau, once they start the machine rolling, it doesn't really stop. It just keeps going. And like, okay, it's a small town. It's not a big international drug dealer, but you know, it's somebody who's, you know, a corrosive influence in, in a small town, in a community. It keeps the criminal justice system on its toes, that, you know, the best minds are there and they're getting paid. Nobody's cutting corners and, and you know, justice is being seen to be done, which I think is important. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. From a notorious robber who splurged on properties and a six-week Florida holiday to a gangland criminal whose Dublin mammy tried to help him get back his cash in the attic. The targets of the Criminal Assets Bureau are both wide and varied. Today, I'm talking to journalist Eamon Dillon as we dip into the latest cab listings before the High Court and give listeners a snapshot of their work. We talk about the colourful and eagle-eyed judge who presides over the list, about the cases that come before him and about the lengths that some will go to hang on to their ill-gotten gains. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Eamon, you were attending the uh, monthly cab list this week and I just asked you, I'm so glad you want to talk about this because, uh, yeah, this is a bit train spottery. But anyway, Justice Alexander Owens, who presides over the um, the cab, the Criminal Assets Bureau lists, he's a bit of a character, isn't he? Yeah, he, he seems the perfect fit for it, though, as well. Um, but it's certainly, mm. it's not the place you'd want to go in half-cocked as a, a barrister going in, in front of Alex Owens and not having your, you know, not being right across your brief because if there's a mistake, he'll point it out to you. Um, and like he's, it's like he's, he's read the brief for both sides perfectly and then he's sitting on the bench yeah. and he's, he's there to make the judgment. But he goes to incredible trouble to make sure he understands everything. And I think... He seems to be quite the expert on on sort of you know questions of tax, on 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 accountancy, and about how accountancy is done. Like he, he's he's all over the the difference between net and gross figures and expenses and revenue returns and whether something is reported to the your accountant doesn't necessarily mean it's true. You know he, he's he's incredibly evidential based. Like everything has to be you know, backed up by by something. You know, the way they work in that you'll have um, a chief cab officer will make a statement of belief and that's put in an affidavit and -and so-and-so was a serious criminal and that we believe this house was bought for that from the proceeds of crime. And then all the supporting affidavits are brought in from different people who've number crunched and gone through all the bank accounts or or dug up the bucket with the cash net or whatever they've done to show where the money has come from. And and that's all he's interested in. I mean, he... Interesting enough, in one of the cases um, this week, he, he said something along the lines of, in reply to one of the barristers who talked about, you know, the societal good that, you know, that the criminal assets legislation does. Um, and he said, look, it doesn't come into it. He said, it's got nothing to do with it. It's all about whether or not an asset was purchased with the proceeds of crime and that any, 
you know, and that was his view. Like, you know, as far, look, it seemed as far yeah. as he is concerned, any any benefit to society accruing from that, well, that's just, you know, it's a lucky bonus, but it, it's not the job of the legislation to, to, to take that into account. And he certainly doesn't. Mm. No, I mean, from the moment he started and he's actually kind of new enough to it, I think he's there maybe two years and maybe it's three. We all seem to have lost a couple of years. Um, and he certainly was sitting during COVID at any time he could. He was in the courtroom. He was on top of his game with the remote hearings. He rushes, he doesn't rush things through, but he he gets things through the courts. He's anything but dithering. And yeah, I agree with you. I think he's the perfect fit for the Criminal Assets Bureau cases. They're complex. You know, they are very largely mathematical and he has the certainly the brain power for it. You know, Somebody could come in and kind of think he's a bit of a walkover and he's absolutely anything but. He's he's absolutely all over um, both sides and definitely can correct and point out mistakes to them. So anyway, that was Actually, that be- before way. You, before you finish on that, even like during COVID, he, he mentioned yeah. one of the cases this week. There was a big a big chunk of, of the affidavits where, where the ins and outs of these um, bank accounts and he said, well, look, I actually read them. He says, I went through them all during COVID. He said, I was bored and I sat at the kitchen table and went yeah. through them all. So there's no need to go through everything and kind of gave a quick synopsis. And, you know, the, the Council for the States kind of more or less, yeah, that's right. And on they went. So, like, uh-huh. he's, incredibly, he's incredibly good at, at shortcutting. And I, one, of his, one of his final lines um, before he was reserving judgment in another case, um, and he just said, look, I, he says, the first thing I do is, is look at what the silent witnesses tell me. So that's all that kind of paperwork and certification yes. and you know the stories from you know from the affidavits and and it's only then he'll go back to see you know the, the various people with their axes to grind as he put it he'll go back and see what they say and if they don't coincide he'll make his judgment based based on that so he's quite a forensic sort of yeah, uh, he's judge. not the he's not the man to try and pull one over on now i can tell you so the cab uh lists as they call it come up once a month uh during court terms. And they're basically, you know, there's cases that can be heard that are ready to be heard. There's cases that are for mention. Some of them seem to kick along for years on end in the case, on the court. Some of them will disappear off into criminal proceedings and then they'll come back. Sometimes they'll be adjourned if there is a criminal proceeding going alongside it. Um, and others, there'll be appeals and various things like that, which can delay them. But, um, you know, you'll always find a juicy story on the cab list. And if you go and sit in the courtroom and any member of the public is welcome to do that, um, you can be um, entertained, shall we say, by some of the stories and the background to some of these cases. Now, we're just going to take a little snapshot at one day of these proceedings um, just to see who's who's up, who's getting their money taken um, and who's going to be able to keep the keys of the house. Um, and you were in this week. The High Court, of course, is where it happens. These are civil proceedings, Eamon. Yeah, they're, they're not criminal proceedings. So, so the kind of the, the level of proof isn't the same as a criminal level. It's on the balance of probabilities as opposed to beyond all reasonable doubt. So basically, if if, um, if somebody said they bought, you know, 365,000 euro worth of a house, as Stefan Saunders said, and he, he he paid his mortgage through his plastering business, but there was absolutely no evidence that you know a plastering business was ever worked at. Then 
you know, it, it, that's, the, that's the case pretty much proved. I think the legislation was, was clever in that sense when it was first brought in, that it switched the onus of proof onto the, onto the accused so that if, if you have, you know, two million quid, there has to be a there has to be a logical explanation for it. So it's either you got it from crime or you got it from legitimate sources. So and if you can't prove you got it from legitimate sources, and you know mm. guards are giving evidence to say Nicola Talent is is the leader of an organised crime group, then you know if you have this two million quid like you know in your bathroom, th- that has to be explained. You know, and you can't just say, well, I was playing cards for a week in in Macau or somewhere or in Hong Kong. Like you'll actually have to go and get. The, the plane tickets and the CCTV from the casino and receipts and you you will have to prove it. Otherwise, they'll say no. That's just just on the balance of probability. That's not true. That's money from you know from criminal activity, and we're taking it, and that's it. Yeah, and they look for where the money goes into accounts, or whether if it's cash in the attic, where it could possibly be from. People come up with all sorts of excuses a lot of the time. Um, I've sat through these cab cases. There's been an awful lot of uh, people claiming that they've been gifted this money or cash to buy houses, etc., from their parents, and often <laughs> enough parents are wheeled in, sometimes even in wheelchairs, to give evidence to that. Um, to say the same, and sometimes it's believed, sometimes it's just, there's just not enough uh, in it. Now, Stefan Saunders, you mentioned, he was up, he has been trucking along in that cab list for a couple of years now. He's um, known or suspected of being a, a prolific tiger kidnapper, a man who has just been released recently from prison after serving time for his role in a ATM attempted ATM robbery. Uh, so good criminal pedigree there, but he's been looking for free legal aid. Is he still at that or has he been refused that? Well, the, the, he, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure where that ended up. Um, mm. Like he, they, made a, they made a big deal of looking for it and pointed out the fact that he hadn't worked since he got out of jail. He was on his 200 euro a, a week social welfare and his wife Tammy was on 350 euro from the, the pandemic unemployment payments at the time. Uh, and, you know, they had expenses of 2300 a month, you know, including, uh, you know, whatever bills they had to pay. I think they'd actually stopped paying the mortgage on the house at the time. So, I mean, they were, they were making the case, look, they can't fight a high court case. They can't afford to pay for, for senior counsel to take this on. And it's not only the likes of counsel you need. You also need forensics account, forensic accountants. You need possibly, you know, um, some of these, these kind of tax consultants to, to produce an expert report to show that, you know, you're your expenditure, your outgoings did actually match your legitimate outcome or your, your legitimate income. Uh, you know, whereas, you know, the cab have all those officers themselves who will have done all that work when they've built the case against the like the likes of Saunders. Uh, so, I, I mean, like what was interesting, I think, about the hearing this week, it was actually it was actually the hearing. It was finally, you know, I think it's a I think it's a nine, it's a 2020 case. So it, like it was filed in, yeah, in 2020. Yeah, there for a while. Now, now presumably, mm. I, I think the the investigation by Cab I think might have started back in 2016 when when uh, he went into custody for the Dunboyne robbery. Um, but it, like it turned up in in court yesterday. It, it, like in a way, it's funny how these things work. It, it mentioned um, a relative of his wife had been invested investigated by Cab in 2005 around that period. And that some of his bank accounts were looked at at the time and nothing untoward was found. Now, this was used by his counsel, his defense counsel, to say, look, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's, not in the, it's, it's not justice to, to, you know, to go back over his accounts again and now suddenly find, you know, errors with them that, you know, or, or, or you know, uh, 
warning flags or whatever you want to call it um, this time around, whereas, you know, the last time there was nothing wrong, so why should you be looking at him so closely? And they were actually trying to make the argument that when he went on the kind of the acquisition period, as they called it, when he bought two houses, including his family home in, in Clonee, uh, they were trying to make the point that at this stage he didn't have any convictions, that his first conviction, which is true, um, didn't happen until the 2016 robbery for which he got 10 years. And that before that, all his income was legitimately earned and, you know, they were trying to say he ran a plastering business, uh, I think, uh, and then and, and his wife, Tammy, had, you know, she was she was involved in various businesses. One of them was um, uh, curtains and blinds. Uh, they, they were also, they'd taken over as a going concern, a hair salon in Finglas. Um, the manager there was kept on, but all the staff were basically made redundant and the new staff were, were a lot of them were relatives of of the the Saunders. This is you know this is what it was said in in, in court yesterday. Yeah. And then of course you know with the the, the kind of they go like you're saying you know members of the public would be welcome to come along to, to come along and watch. But I don't think they'd be thanking you, uh, Nicola, because like some of it is pretty uh, it's pretty arcane so and and it's it's like you're kind of sitting there wondering. I hope eventually at the end of this big long you know, to and fro about bank accounts, they're going to do it in a nice simple line for us simple journalists to understand. But I mean, they were talking about the 360 paid on, on his, on his, on his Clanny home uh, back in, I think it was 2005 or 2006. And that, you know, 50,000 of a gift from, uh, you know, a relative. And then there was, uh, there was, I think another 14,000 in, in, you know, a, a, a kind of costs and that certain things were paid for in cash, that the, the mortgage was paid from these companies that were basically, you know, described as money laundering, you know, exercises. So, I mean, you're, you're basically, you, you get a legitimate mortgage on, on the back, presumably, uh, his application, like, you know, included his, his tax returns or, you know, his, you know, his company returns or he was self-employed as a plasterer. Um, so, so this would have been kind of self-declared. So, I mean, there was never any kind of... There was never an accountant pouring through invoices or anything like that. So, I mean, accountants take people at their word and, and do, their, do their revenue returns for them. So, again, there was no evidence found of, of this, this work being done. Um, and there was 120,000 extension done on his house, which was paid for in cash. And then the relative who lent him 50 grand. That's an phenomenal uh, amount of cash. I mean, isn't it 120,000? Yeah. Now, they were they try to make the argument then that, well, look, this is the valuation by cab. But, you know, when you pay in cash, you get things a bit cheaper. Um, and, you know, and again, this is something that Judge Owens would, would pick up on and say, well, that's, that's, you know, quite probably true. But even if you say it's only 40 grand, like where did the 40 grand come from? I suppose at 120. Oh my God. But the 50 grand, say loan or gift, whatever it was from the, from the relative, then that went back to the relative in terms of they got a refurbishment done on their house. Um, and, and again, there was kind of a, a calculation of how much that cost and, you know, was it equivalent to the 50 grand or a bit less, 32,000? And, and, and you know, and funnily enough, there, there was um, they, they they took out a top up mortgage, which they ended up using then to buy a luxury car, a, a BMW X5, I think, or something like that. It was a top end, um, and there was a valuer from a bank had come out to look at the house for this top up, you know, this top top up mortgage, and remarked about the high standard of the work that had been carried out, and it was you know really done to the the nth degree, and that was you know uh, you know it was a, a stylish job, well done. So it, it kind of, you know, there was obviously no expense spared in, in this in this extension, which obviously his side then were trying to claim that it wasn't all about, you know, uh, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily as much as, as Cab were trying to claim it was. 
This is the house at Hazelbury Park we're talking about, which is the family home. That's correct, yeah. 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 Because do you know that house? And it, it is beautifully done, actually, because uh, I've seen it. I haven't been in it, but I've seen it on uh, Facebook or one of these things. Somebody was showing it off, probably, I think, maybe his wife. Um, and it is actually really tastefully done and uh, very well plastered, I have to say. But only because back in the day, I certainly after the the um, the ATM raid, the it was suspected that he at that point had collected six million and they reckoned that he was a cash spender. He had it in cash. And when at one point there was a raid on his house and the guardy went through the cavity walls because that's where they reckoned that the the money was. They were sure that there was money in the cavity walls, found nothing, but they had to get replastered. So that's why it looks so well. Um, If the same thing happened to my house, I'd probably do the same. But uh, I can tell you, nobody's going to be finding anything in the cavity walls of mine. Um, so their cab are ultimately looking, are they, to take this home from him and his wife, to seize it and to forfeit it to basically to the state? Yeah, I mean, basically what they were looking for this week was a ruling, um, as far as I understand it. Um, they were just looking for a ruling that it was bought with the proceeds of crime. And then the next step after that then is to get the order that had been turned over. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, like the, so, the judge hasn't actually made his his ruling on it yet, so presumably that can be appealed. And then, if it is ruled the proceeds of crime, then the the the, the next court order, you know, uh, telling the Saunders to yeah. hand over the home, now, presumably that can be appealed as well. Or they can try and sit uh-huh. tight for as long as they can, as another 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 criminal uh, was was doing um, this week as well. Uh, you can just sit tight and, and wait until they kind of more or less threaten you with a contempt of court and put you in jail before you finally, you know, hand over the keys and walk away. And, you know, in some cases they, they do. It's like any civil proceedings. In some cases, I think that when, you know, the heat dies down on it and maybe they, they realise that, you know, this is, you know, we're going to lose the house. Sometimes they come to the table and they do a settlement and they'll come up with money to pay off or whatever, or they could do a deal. And the Criminal Assets Bureau are perfectly entitled to and able to do that in the same way, um, you know, an individual would be. Because in the long term, it saves money on legal fees, uh, court dates, etc. And you can, it can work out the best for everybody. So anyway, the Saunders aren't uh, at the position that they want to give over their family home. No, no, I mean, the yeah, they were, they, were, they were fighting it. They were fighting it all the way. And I mean, they went through... Like I mean, they they, pre- they pretty much tried to have an answer for everything the um, the, the criminal assets bureau came up with, and and they in turn had answering affidavits rebutting the the, the Saunders's case. Like I mean, like for instance, you, um, I think uh, Tammy's affidavit that the, the the blinds and and curtain firm, you know, how could it be a, a money laundering vehicle that was almost you know there was very little going through it, and and and. You know, it was a, it was a it was just a cottage industry set up by her mother in two thousand and four, and you know there was really you know she'd worked there as a kid, and you know it only just kind of got more involved when she was eighteen, and that you know it was, it was you know describing it almost like a kind of a, a paid hobby rather than than a than a, than a business, but um, I, I don't think that was well. It's hard to you know I, I don't think that was necessarily. Um, taken on board by by the the cab officials, and I think they came back with their own affidavit explaining it in 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 extreme accountancy details which are way beyond me to be honest <laughs> so this will probably continue to go back and forth and you know it will it will eventually culminate in you know there'll be a decision made and then whatever but 
in just to go back to the free legal aid before we go on to some of the other cases you heard, but that free legal aid, Gilligan obviously got it because he was the first case, one of the first big cases up. And because he got free legal aid, that's why he appealed everything all the way and didn't it go on for 20 odd years and cost the state 20 million and all the rest of it. And I think in more recent times, the criminal assets bureau, because when they were established, they had nothing to look back on. They were just fresh agency and uh, they were learning all the time. But I think nowadays when any of these people do apply for free legal aid, they fight that all the way and as strongly as they can. Most notably, the Burn Organised Crime Group went in and applied for free legal aid when they took the case against them. And uh, the affidavits that the Criminal Assets Bureau put to the courts to object to that free legal aid literally blew open that whole organisation from the point of view of what we could report on. Everybody was named. Many of them were on social welfare while also believed to be bringing in millions of euro from from drug dealing. Um, And they, they ultimately lost the case for free legal aid and they had it settled up within weeks after that because they weren't prepared to put their hands into their own pockets to to fight the the law uh, or the state. So anyway, going back to who else was up and what else did you hear? Well, the other kind of, it was an interesting one, I think came up. um, And again, you you can show you, like I suppose in a sense, free legal aid um, doesn't come into this one. Dean Russell, and he's been described as a veteran gangster uh, with lots of links to um, feuding gangs in Kulak and the north inner city Dublin. His, his brother Anthony Russell was shot dead by, um, I think, the gang that were opposed to Christy Griffin, if you remember that that kind of Oriel yeah. Street feud, it was called. It's a pretty, pretty nasty one. Um, and I think, and Ru- Russell himself was, was the subject of two assassination attempts, uh, like two separate ones a couple of years apart by some pretty heavyweight criminals as well. Um, and you know you know he and that that was that was all the kind of in the the affidavit in the original cab hearing which i think was in about 2014 uh where, where they kind of outlined you know his cr- criminal background and that 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 they, i think it was an apartment in santry and an apartment in malaga and and his family home in, in it's in a north part of dublin and and that, they, that these were the assets that they were going after now he he kind of he represented himself and he 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 when the ruling went against them, he appealed it to the um, the appeal courts. They were saying last Thursday that there was even documentation lost regarding his file in in 2019 when it went to the the, the, the court of appeal. So again, this is this is a case when you look up the case number. It's a 2010 case. Now I don't think it actually reached the courts mm. until 2011. Uh, there wasn't a ruling until 2014. He appealed it in 2019. Uh, uh, he lost that. The, the judgment came in 2020. He lost that. And then we found out on, on Thursday that he had since been refused permission uh, to bring it to the Supreme Court. All, all done, you know, under his own steam. He didn't have a solicitor representing him because obviously he didn't have free legal aid. Um, and he had informed CAB that he wasn't going to be there on Thursday. And there was evidence, well, there was, there was, there was affidavits read out or information read out to the court that, like, he was still in occupation of the house there was proof of the service of the of the the order on him that he knew about it, and the judge more or less more or less said, right, I'm going to give you the order and I'm going to commit him to prison for contempt of court, but I'm going to stay it until Monday morning. So, uh, so that's that's kind of where Dean Russell stands now. I mean, and it kind of his appeal really centered on the family home, which he said was his you know a home and included four adults living there. 
Um, like so, presumably the, the apartment in Santry in Malaga that you know he's accepted that, and I, I think there was it mentioned that there had been receivers appointed to those two properties. So presumably they've since been disposed of, and whatever cash has gone back to to, to the, the exchequer for that. What kind of age is he, Eamon Russell? What what kind of age is he? To be fair to him, now I think he's about fifty two or three. Um, but right. he, he's not someone. He's he's not someone that would have been kind of hitting the headlines from our point of view. But obviously. Mm the guards were taken very seriously. He's kind of most serious conviction he seems to have is from a post office robbery in, in the nineties. And having said that, he bought his house for 53,000 euro in 95. So obviously, yeah. I suppose the, the, as far as the guards, the guards concerned, that certainly helped him get on the, the property ladder, the, his, his real business of, um, of being a bank robber or a post office robber. He's, Sounds like the kind of guy that's incensed that, you know, the cab should come looking for his home. You know, a lot of this this belief that people have, I mean, he's representing himself, obviously. He's somebody who has survived assassination attempts, rattling up to court on particular days probably isn't ideal for him. But nonetheless, he's been attending somewhat, although not in the last occasion. Um, a lot of these criminals get this you know, sense of how unfair it is that the Criminal Assets Bureau should come after them at all, don't they? They just... Yes, just because it's criminal money doesn't mean it wasn't hard-earned, I think is the kind of philosophy, like, you know, you can kind of understand that to some extent, but it's, I suppose, when you break the rules, oh, but the bankers (laughs) do it as well, so why can't we do it? But that's beside the point. How many times have we heard that, yeah. And 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 there is a point to it. Well, it's not a valid one, I, w- I wouldn't think. Like, you know, and I mean, oh. just because someone else is doing something wrong doesn't mean you should, you know, get away with it as well. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, lock up the, the, the bankers and the bank robbers, like if they're, if they're doing something yeah. wrong. But I mean, like Dean Russell certainly seemed to have a chip in his shoulder, you know, because he, he has actually given a few interviews to the media over the years. And one of them in 2018, mm. he went on to Joe Duffy's lifeline to complain about the heavy-handed guards, like now, this is the same organization that saved his life on two occasions previously, and he's ringing yeah. up. He's ringing up Joe Duffy to give out about the fact that they were banging on his door at five to four in the morning to serve a warrant, as far as he was, con- as far as he said, for speeding. So you know, he says, "I thought there was," you know, he said, "I thought there was someone dead." That reminded me of you know when my brother had been shot. This is all stuff he said to Joe Duffy. Um, and that, you know, he wasn't going to allow himself to be taken away and, and humiliated, as he called it. So he hopped out the back window and ran off, according to his own account, and then surrendered himself to the guards later on his own terms. So I think that gives you an idea of, I suppose, his mindset. I mean, when he spoke yeah. to, he spoke to our colleague Neil Featherston in, in 2015, shortly after the, <clears throat> the last attempt on his life. And again, it was the same thing of like, I don't know who these guys are. I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know them to see. And he said, you know, I don't owe anyone any money. And, you know, and if there was a problem, I'd know about it. So you can, it's kind of, he's trying to have his cake and eat it, you know, in, in both ways. And he mentioned the yeah. fact that he was a chairman of a local football club and he just wanted to live life. And he was upset that his family and his name was being dragged into all this. And, and you know, admittedly, he did have a little a bit of a dealing with the cab in the past, but that was all behind him now. So anyway, that's, that's still yeah. ticking away. Yeah. But it does show you, though, how once the Criminal Access Bureau once they start the machine rolling, it doesn't really stop. It just keeps going. Yeah, you may give up something because they're they're not going to walk away empty-handed. Isn't that it? Um, was there something about the Waldrons up? Oh, well, yeah, David Waldron was, was, was back again. Yeah, I mean, I think, was it, I think in May I was there and there was some good stuff about the um, 
again, it was the legal aid issue, which they had successfully yeah. got legal aid, himself and his wife again. Um, and the Criminal Assets Bureau had gone, to, taken it to the appeal court and it was appealed. And I think the, the, the and CAB won that case. So it, it had bounced back now again to the Proceeds of Crime Court. And they were also saying that not only not only like did they win the appeal, but there was now new evidence to show that they had more unexplained spending, including five grand that they spent in a hotel for a christening party. And they were trying to explain then there was, uh, I think he was dealing cars on done deal. So he suggested then in one affidavit that one of these cars that they'd sold off was only for a couple of hundred quid. And it was just something, it was a little hobby that his nine-year-old son was involved in, that his son was actually doing up cars. And, and that's where some of the money was coming from. So, but anyway, look, yeah, this week it came up again in terms of they were looking in for a very specific, um, I suppose, help. They're looking for free legal aid. They were looking for the equivalent of 11,000 euro. Um, and the reason it's equivalent was because they were looking for a forensic accountant based outside the jurisdiction, I think in either Northern Ireland or the UK, who was going to go through the cab file and obviously put a report together and an affidavit so that they could try and rebut the case against them. So sorry, just they're looking for free legal aid for to pay a forensic accountant to go through the Criminal Assets Bureau documents to see what they can find that's wrong. So in other words, they're looking for the state to pay, for the taxpayer to pay for that. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah, I think you put it a bit more succinctly than I did, Nicola. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, I think Judge Owens, with his, his, his typically uh, forensic mind himself, he said, um, yeah, he would. Like, he, he agreed to do it. Now, the argument from Cab was like, you know, both the fees and the hourly rates, you know, and the time going to be taken were excessive. And Judge Jones says, well, look, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a ruling that they're going to get free legal aid based on how long it took me to read the file. And he basically said that was, you know, 8,000 euro. So he, he partially gave them <gasps> what they wanted. Right. But he, he did his own calculations on how much he felt it should cost. Straight there and then, I mean... This is the type of argument that, you know, in, in other courts could go on for days about, you know, and you'd have to bring in an expert to say, well, how long will it take you to read the file? Exactly, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. So, I mean, and everyone good. would have to pay, yeah. So in one sense, you can, it's, it's a simple enough thing. And, and, and to be honest, like, that when you say it's coming out of the taxpayer's money, it'll probably eventually come out of the seized assets. Like when they eventually do lose the case, which... You know, like they don't seem to have an answerable case from, you know, from from what I've heard in court. I mean, you've been in there as well. And I mean, there's a huge amount. I think it's 2.9 million of unexplained wealth. I mean, you, you can't kind of like there's no there's no easy way to disguise. At the centre of it is this house down in Wicklow, Wexford Way. In Wexford, yeah, Darview. It is called, yeah. in Wexford. That's right. Darview. Yeah, yeah. I can actually see it. I could I could get there if somebody put me back into the area. But Tell me what county it is in it from here, and I don't know. Anyway, Wexford, thank you. Um, it is absolutely stunning, this house. Architect designed, um, you know, attractive looking from the front, but from the back, it has these sort of like three levels of views overlooking the mountains and the, you know, the, the rolling countryside, the rolling hills. Um, you know, these superb glass balconies, windows everywhere. There isn't a little bit of the view that hasn't been captured within the house. There's a paddocks outside it. I mean, it is just gorgeous. And this was the holiday home, um, you know, and... Uh, 
I think, Nicola, Again, you should, you should become a, an estate agent the way you're selling that property. I Listen, fabulous. do you know what? I'm not able for this cab stuff anymore. I've decided I can't even go there. And I go in and when I hear them looking for free legal aid, I get myself into this like knot of rage and I get all tense and everything. I wouldn't be able for it. I wouldn't be able to work in the Criminal Assets Bureau. I'm just saying now. And, uh, you know, I can dip in and out of it, but I can feel myself even getting worked up here now talking about it. Well, I mean, I think in, okay. in the long in the long Round run, it's, it, I think in the long run, a lot of a lot of this, a lot of these fees would be recovered. I, you know, I, it, it's, you know, I mean, I think I think Waldron was the first of, you know, since Judge Owens's point, he was the he was the first to start looking for free legal aid, um, and the fact that you know you're entitled to free legal aid when it's a criminal case, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, if, <clears throat> if you are on serious charges. And you can argue, I know people say it's, you know, why should we be paying for criminals? Well, the point is, you'd have a very different view of it if, if you're the victim of some kind of, a, you know, a conspiracy or somebody's cocked up the investigation or people are flat out lying about you or whatever. You'd be very thankful that you don't have to pay for the, basically the best barristers that are available. And in, and in fairness, it keeps the criminal justice system on its toes that, you know, the best minds are there and they're getting paid. And, you know, and, and nobody's nobody's cutting corners and, and you know, justice is being seen to be done, which I think is important. Whereas, you know, if you compare it to a system like the States where you're rewarded for snitching and, you know, the, mm. the, the, the wealthier you are, basically the more trouble you can tend to buy yourself out of. You know, I mean, you know, it's rich man's justice in the US. Whereas, I mean, here, like, I mean, in fairness, it is egalitarian in that sense. Now, there's no free legal aid when it comes to civil cases. I mean, I mean, otherwise, I mean, you could clog up the system, but, you know, people accusing people of leaving their bins in the wrong place outside their house if they didn't have to pay the 10 grand to go to the high court to get an injunction to stop me putting my bins in the wrong place. So <clears throat> you can see why in, in that sense, like, you know, it, it, you can't have free legal aid in, in, in the civil court. I suppose in the criminal assets sphere, it's slightly different. It is a civil court, but it's it's touching on criminal matters, but it's not a criminal trial either. So, yeah, you know, so I suppose it's open, and I think uh, like Joe Jones has been taking it on a case by case basis. You know, you know. So I mean, mm-hmm. you just have to keep going in, in in that regard. He has, and I think probably I know I'm getting I've calmed down now. Thank God, there's one of us sensible today. Um, you know, but I I um I think actually, funny enough, Joe Jones is willing to hear both sides, and maybe in some cases that the argument against the free legal legal aid isn't robust enough from the cab, and that's probably why he's granting it you know but anyway so we'll, we'll move on from that was anybody in court uh, no no there, there was there was there, there were two smaller cases um and you know and and that actually didn't didn't you know they didn't come to any conclusion and I'm, I'm hanging on to the information for a little bit longer there might turn out to be decent yeah. stories down the line but uh, although one of them um, <clears throat> speaking of, of money being suspected being hidden in cavity blocks, in one case, uh, the money was actually found behind the moulding in, in someone's house. Uh, so, so it does happen. So, I mean, being a plasterer in that okay. regard might be successful, but that wasn't the Stefan Saunders case. It was another one that's still taking it along. Yeah. And, I mean, th- that gentleman did turn up in court and interrupted once or twice and was, you know, was, was and I think, uh, and at one point then w- opened his mouth only to have Judge Jones kind of loudly say no. <laughs> And then there was there was another 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 pair turned up, um, and I think it was a house that had been seized some time ago. Or no, he actually made the order on Thursday, mm-hmm. and these two gentlemen turned up. You know, an hour after the, the hearing was over, in their case, 
and uh, and said, "Judge, we're sorry, the traffic, you know." And and you know, I couldn't I couldn't yeah. find a solicitor north or south to help me out. And judge just says, "No, you can find a solicitor now, and you can appeal it." So he wasn't he wasn't going to rehear nice. the case. I mean, even at that stage, I mean, why would you? I mean, the people who were involved, some of them, I think, were gone at that stage. There was different, you know, cab council involved. So I mean, but they they were the only two. So there was none of the. There was none of the people that we've mentioned, like Stephen Saunders or, or, or Dean Russell, yeah. hadn't on this occasion turned up. But they, they sometimes do, I think. Yes, and they sometimes do. Sometimes pe- people don't show up at all. The but Gilligan ladies were 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 pretty, mm. you know, were were pretty um, surefire. They seemed to enjoy the day out nearly or something. I don't know, but they were there a lot. And I was in another day, and uh, Butler Devoy was in with his mother. And there was a a application to they had seized I think some money in a raid on his house or some sort of an arrest. There was money, and he was kind of going in to see if he could get it back, but he hadn't a hope. But his mother came in with him for the day, and she was very chatty with me. She was a very pleasant woman. She did, she gave him a bit of a nudge and said, "There's there's Nicola Talent." Thanks, ma. And he wasn't too pleased. <laughs> I don't think so. It's always the way. <laughs> Poor old mammy's dragged in then to give evidence that yeah no that was that was the money my granny gave me that I passed on. Yeah, but he just he just didn't look so tough for that moment, you know, with his mother making a show of him. I suppose you every, know we're every, all the same, really. And everyone stuff. has a mammy at some point somewhere down the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, was it a good day for cab? Was it a good business day? Good yeah, for the Sunday world, I guess it was. Yeah, it, it, like normally, I mean, Judge Owens is, is so quick; he, he can fly through stuff, and you're, you're done and dusted by ten to one. But like, there, there was quite a lot of material, so it actually went on for two days, and it was two full days. So I'm just putting in a, a, a big expense claim now for having to sit in court for extra time. You know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Okay, well, look, that's interesting anyway. That um, gives us a little bit of an idea of what these these lists are about, what sort of business has been done on a day-to-day basis. And maybe you're right, it probably isn't for the public really because it is complex and oftentimes you or I even need to it, the, the details of it to be explained afterwards by some kindly lawyer who takes a bit of pity on you. Um, and many of them are very helpful and um, good with their time to just explain it. Um but so that's that and cab is I think figures out there in the last couple of weeks show they've had you know another bumper year and brought in millions and millions in cash and houses and jewelry and everything for the state and they continue and remain such a a wonderful arm in the fight against organized crime yeah I I think it's certainly been one of the most effective pieces of legislation I mean you know, we, we spoke about it before after the recent sanctioning of the Kinahan gang when we went on about Johnny Morrissey. And I mean, and all those kind of English criminals, English based criminals and, you know, Dutch criminals who had kind of set up in Ireland in the mid 90s or earlier than that. I'm going to use this would be the new Casa del Sol, like a Casa del Crime in mm-hmm. the rain. And they just liked it. They saw the writing on the wall. I mean, the likes of the Penguin and these guys, they just, they, they left. Bomber Kavanagh left, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really, it's been an effective, um, it's been an effective legislation piece of legislation and an effective unit that seems to have been well run over the years maybe it could even be a bit bigger i mean i like i have great interest in some of the smaller cases you know the ones like i mentioned to you where i mean i think we did one not so long ago on a money lender in 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 um in kilrush in clare and you know mm. and, and like okay it's a small town it's not a big international drug dealer but you know it's somebody who's you know a corrosive influence in in a small town in a community 
And I think I think it can be really effective in those things. And I think and I think they do have you know the local profilers that kind of look for you know um, targets that they can go after you know in that regard. And I think the the more they do that, the better. I mean, obviously they need to keep going after the the multimillionaire gangsters but Mm -hmm. I think they need to keep going after the community-based bullies as well Absolutely, I mean, you know, when sometimes when the communities see the the BMWs going off in the back of a truck or the houses being raided, that it just gives them a sense that they haven't been forgotten these communities when sometimes they feel they have Um, So look, Eamon Dillon thank you very much Thank you Nicola You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.